Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, a podcast by your friends at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm Vic Colella, uh, your host, and I'm joined today by Alex Rashani, an advisor here at Woodward and a colleague of mine. Hi, Alex. Hey, Vic. Well, it's good to be back, Alex. I know it's been a little while. I've, I'm mostly to blame. I've been out on paternity leave and catching up from all of that, but it's certainly good to be back uh, on a podcast talking with you. We're talking today about banks. So if you read the news or watch the news, you've seen them there, I'm sure. Uh, over the last couple of months, uh, there have been a few bank failures, which always sort of catches the news headlines, rightfully so. And and we, I think, Alex, you and I both have had a lot of clients of the firm who have been asking, you know, what's going on? Uh, should I be scared? Should I do something different? And I thought, you know, maybe recording a podcast would be a good way to to sort of put our view on things out there into the world and help folks digest what they're reading in the news. So uh, it, I think maybe we'll just dive right in, Alex. So do you mind starting? And I think what we'll do is we'll start with what's actually going on. We'll do a brief timeline of of what's been happening with banks in the news then we'll dive into the why behind it, and then you know, does it matter? What should you do about it? Um, so yeah, Alex, what's what's been going on? I know we just talked about a lot of this, but just give us the high level. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as everyone's probably heard, uh, March tenth, we had the first of a few bank failures. Uh, so Silicon Valley Bank, uh, and then two days later, followed by Signature Bank. Uh, so those were initially what hit the headlines. Uh, FDIC stepped in for both of them and insured all the uninsured and insured deposits. Um, and then earlier this week, we saw First Republic in a similar situation, it, but it got sold by FDIC to JP Morgan Chase. Um, and so in between those major headlines that we've seen, there's also been some international uh, banking changes. So Credit Suisse was bought by UBS, uh, and then a lot of other regional banks are really just under the microscope and taking hits on their stock price. Yeah, and, and we'll explain some of the terms that, that Alex is talking about. I mean, FDIC, we'll refer to a blog post that we recently put out sort of explaining FDIC a couple of times throughout this conversation. But um, Alex, I guess, you know, my question and the question that some folks might have is, you know, is the sky falling? You know, do we all need to go get our banks out of the... <laughs> our cash out of the banks and, you know, put it in a mattress or buried in the yard? Well, that's the million dollar question, right? Um, <laughs> we think an explanation of the why, what's happening and why it's happening can really help answer that. So uh, we think really fundamental understanding of fractional banking is important to understand what's going on. So a quick primer on that. What is fractional banking, right? It's the idea that if you put a dollar into your bank account, that dollar is not just sitting there waiting for you. There's a small percent of that dollar available at the bank. The rest is being lent out, invested, um, ultimately with the goal of either generating the bank profits, covering their overhead, uh, you know, paying whatever interest rate you're getting on your money. And so that's, uh, that's really core to understand is that the dollars you put in, they're not all sitting there. Yeah, and I'll say the fractional banking system is our banking system. So this is how banks work uh, here in the United States and abroad in most cases. So 
um, what Alex is describing is what you know your local credit union, your you know your bank up the street, the big banks like J.P. Morgan Chase, they're all doing this, um, and that's why when, if, if anyone's ever heard the term a run on the bank, when everybody runs to the bank and says I want my money back, it creates problems, just like it did. Uh, it's it's created problems throughout history of banks, uh, and and that's some of the nature of what we're going to talk about here in a second. So Alex, what issues, so when you talk about Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic, what type of issues have we seen that have led to their ultimate, their demise, although they're, the, the folks who had their money there are still intact. They fully, you know, the FDIC stepped in. It's worth mentioning and we'll mention it a few times, but I guess what led to their failures? Yeah, so we see these really in two categories. So some real or structural issues that plague these banks, as well as perception. Uh, from a real standpoint, both or all three, Signature, uh, Silicon Valley and First Republic, they had a lot of uninsured deposits. Now, what does that mean, right? It's above the FDIC limit, if you were the credit union, the NCUA limit. Um, we think of that broadly as 250. It's a little more nuanced than that. Uh, $250,000, just to $250, clarify. $250,000, thank you for clarifying. Um, large amount of tech exposure, a sector that really has gotten hit recently. And a bunch of bad bets, right? Uh, jumbo mortgages, treasuries, crypto, making up a big portion of the portfolios of these banks where they basically took some of those funds that were not held in the reserves, a la fractional banking, and mm -hmm. were invested or lent out. Um, and all this made them very vulnerable to changes in interest rates and run on the banks, as uh, Vic mentioned before. Yeah, and Alex, I'll actually dive into a couple of those examples and give specifics. So Silicon Valley Bank was the first bank to sort of fall uh, and and banks really do fall in sort of this domino pattern. And there's been three so far. It doesn't mean that there'll only be three, which is where we don't have a crystal ball. Uh, and we'll talk about this more. But so at Silicon Valley Bank, just to make this real, you know, they made some bad bets in that um, Silicon Valley Bank was you know, in Silicon Valley. So highly exposed to the tech sector of the economy, which has really been hurt over the last year and a half in the market. But the reason that that was a problem is because they bought treasuries. So treasuries are short-term loans to the federal government. That's all you really need to know. And when interest rates went up, they owned some treasuries, you know, and this happens for, for bonds, generally speaking. Basically, they made a, a bet that didn't make much sense. Uh, and they got uh, basically really hurt by those investments. But they only got hurt when... You know, there was a, I can't remember his name or her name, but someone on Twitter started basically ringing the bell and saying, Silicon Valley Bank is going down. I'm taking my money out and you should too. So the reason that those investments became a problem were because, because folks started to get concerned about the safety of their, of their deposits. A similar thing happened at Signature Bank. You know, Signature Bank is not in Silicon Valley, but it also had a lot of tech exposure, and they had a little additional flavor that they had some some more uh, 
concentrated bets in cryptocurrencies, which also haven't fared very well over the last last year. And because Silicon Valley Bank looked similar, by the way, they had a lot of uninsured deposits, which when we say uninsured deposits, that just means really large amounts of money in the bank, generally speaking, and a lot of companies in both cases. So folks did the math and said, Signature looks a lot like Silicon Valley did. Let's take our money out of that bank as well. And then they paid the price two days later. And to draw one final comparison into First Republic, which this news just happened this week. So we're recording this on May 4th of 2023. Um, First Republic Bank. Now, they're a little different than Signature Valley. And uh, I'm sorry, Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank. I'm I'm combining the names. Uh, But in their case, it was that they had a lot of jumbo mortgages, which, you know, they were lending money to people way above, uh, you know, often above a million dollars, right? And they were lending that money out at really low interest rates. So this is before interest rates went up last year. And when everybody started looking at them and saying, we're taking our money out, uh, they didn't have the ability to get that money for their depositors without taking big losses. So again, a lot of uninsured deposits in all three cases, and that was causing folks who were scared to target these banks for withdrawals. Does that make sense, Alex, the way I've sort of explained it there? Yeah, I think that's a, a nice uh, mid-level dive into everything that's gone. Yeah, gone right. Down. We could go very deep and this podcast would be long and boring. So, um, <laughs> Alex, actually, I may keep running. So you said the second combination is this perception problem that banks can have, and this has been happening. But we said there's real problems and there's perception problems, but that's sort of a misnomer in that perception becomes reality when it comes to banking issues, right? These three banks are the ones that have failed so far, and hopefully that's all. They aren't the only ones who've had folks taking their deposits out of the bank. And this is a really important distinction that I think we wanted to make today, which is that um especially regional banks. There are small community banks and credit unions. There are regional banks that like First Republic and Silicon Valley, which really operate nationally, but they're smaller. And then there's the big banks, JP Morgan Chase of the world, um, Bank of America. So think of the, the big ones. Regional banks in particular have felt this pain because all of the banks that have failed have been regional. So Lots of other banks, and there have been other ones in the news, uh, just go look at headlines and you'll see some, have experienced these basically people taking their deposits and going elsewhere, whether that's big banks or credit unions or their mattress, I'm not really sure. Um, But they haven't yet failed. And in many cases, they've actually fared fairly well. Although they've been hurt, their stock prices have gone down. They haven't failed. And the reason is that they didn't make the same bets that First Republic, Silicon Valley Bank, and Signature Bank made. So I that's the perception becoming reality uh, piece of it, is that you know somebody on Twitter says, everybody run, the sky's falling. That becomes a problem for banks who aren't doing the right things and being prudent with their sort of deposits and investment strategies. Absolutely. Yeah, and so this brings a question. Should we be worried? Is this uh, 2008 again? And, you know, it doesn't seem to be that. 
so these three banks that we've talked about, they've all failed. Really, they've been victim to their own poor planning, uh, taking bets that they shouldn't have taken um, into the tech sector, into jumbo mortgages, treasuries, crypto, all that, that Vic and I have talked about thus far. And that's something that was not the case in 2008. It was more of a credit issue, regulatory issue that has been really refined and, and honed in on through Dodd-Frank over the years, uh, most mm -hmm. recently up in 2018. Um, the FDIC has also stepped up in all the cases thus far. So they're trying to send a strong message that these are idiosyncratic issues. They're really trying to shore up the confidence in the banking sector. Uh, because if this was more widespread, they wouldn't be able to ensure the the uh, deposits at the same level, and they would be taking probably a different approach. Yeah, and I'll I'll just define in our investment world idiosyncratic as a term. We use that to describe issues that are more company specific in nature. Well, there's this contagion effect that happens in the banking sector in particular, right? When people start get wor getting worried about banks, it doesn't matter what bank is on your statement. Uh, that worry usually extends beyond just, you know, the banks that have problems. But the fact that these three banks have failed, if you look at each case, it, it makes sense that they were, they were overextending themselves in some way or, you know, we as humans, and this extends to folks in boardrooms at banks, we think, you know, interest rates are low now, they're going to stay low forever. That was the case for First Republic, making these big mortgages at low interest rates. Um, so so it, it is just sort of the same folly that happens over and over and over again in the banking sector. There have been no shortage of banking crises throughout history. Um but these ones, these three companies in particular that have failed, uh, it's all for very specific reasons. So for us, that's reassuring the FDIC, like Alex just said, their response has been really aggressive in a good way to say, we're not just going to insure folks who have their deposits under a certain limit. We're going to insure all of them to make sure nobody uh, loses their deposit. So that's all really encouraging. Absolutely. And, um, you know, what, what should we do about it? What should our response be? It's kind of the next logical uh, thought pattern. And, you know, if you have cash in banks, that's, whether that's com community banks, regionals, the big players, uh, we always encourage you to pay attention to the FDIC or in the credit union case, the NCUA limits. Right? They're the same. You can uh, think of them one and the same. And that is, again, 250000 with a little bit of nuance. Now, we've defined some of that nuance in a blog piece that was recently published. We'll include that in the description of this podcast. So you can go read into that. Uh, it shows examples, breaks down a little bit of math for you. Uh, but pay attention to those limits. There's not really a, a need to take risk by keeping excess above those limits in a singular bank. That's our view on it. Yeah. And I'll say that part of the, if you have more cash than, the limits cover. We talk about this with clients all the time. Maybe examine whether you should or shouldn't. You know, part of the reason we're in this whole thing is because inflation has showed up. Uh, your cash, even if you're getting good interest rates, which right now are around four, four to five percent on the high yield in, uh, savings accounts, 
um, you're losing money uh, because of inflation. So really examine whether you should have cash, which is a conversation we're always having with clients if they have balances above FDIC limits. So Alex, I'm looking at the time. What do you have in any, any closers, uh, closing thoughts for folks who are, who are listening here? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this is a good reminder to protect your cash, to not have everything in you know, one basket, all your eggs in one basket, to use that phrase. Uh, so thinking that really applies to your banking, your cash, but also investments. Diversification is still key. Uh, focus on managing those risks and we think insurance where it's applicable, diversification and good planning are really the three keys to that. And that having seen this happen, this in some ways needed to happen because it periodically will need to happen really to weed out the bad behavior to kind of refine the rules that we have around the banking sector, around perhaps investment banking, investments in general, because people go out and they, they search for yield and they're, they're, they're pushing the boundaries and uh, ultimately regulation will, will need to be a component of this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there had plenty of headlines about Dodd-Frank and some changes that were made in 2018 and whether we need to rethink that stuff as a, as a country. So yeah, it's complicated, but I, I think the the main message here is stay calm. The the planning work that we do with our clients hasn't really changed as a result of this. Because if this is surprising, then you're not paying attention throughout history. So uh, take a diversified approach to your cash, to your investments, whatever it is, and you'll weather a storm like this without any troubles. So, Alex been a pleasure. I look forward to getting on the mic again soon. Uh, I really do hope this helps put things into context for folks who are, who are reading these headlines. So um, thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you could find us on the web at woodwardadvisors.com and as a firm on both Facebook and LinkedIn. There's a link to those pages at the bottom of our website. You can also find us all as individuals on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, we love receiving listener-suggested topics, so if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please hit the Let's Talk link at the top of our website and submit a message with podcast in the subject line. Thanks again for listening, and talk to you next time.